Welcome to the Accord Research Alliance podcast, where we talk with thought leaders and innovators about monitoring, evaluation, research, and learning in Christ-centered relief, development, and advocacy. I'm your host, Nathan Maloney, and today I'm excited to share a recent conversation I had with Emily Jackson. So Emily is the assistant manager for microfinance projects at Hope International, and she's also going to be a new co-host on this podcast. So I'm looking forward to hearing some interviews from her um, on this podcast soon, and I'm excited to share uh, this conversation so you can get to know Emily a little bit better and the work uh, that she's doing at Hope. And so our conversation is is about the work uh, she's doing with her microfinance projects around the world, uh, specifically talking about how they've used a common tool in market research known as the Net Promoter Score um, as a tool for listening. And it's a way for them to listen to those that are part of the microfinance projects and to be able to adapt their work as they as they go. So it's a uh, it's a great conversation. We get into the details, so I think you'll find it helpful um, if this is something uh, that you could potentially use. Before we jump in, though, I just want to remind everyone that there is still time to register for the One Accord Forum in Ridgecrest, North Carolina, October 11th through the 13th. And I encourage everyone to uh, think about attending uh, the entire forum, but I especially want to highlight the Accord Research Alliance Intensive, kind of a day-long workshop that we have on October 11th, right before the start of the overall event. Um, We have a really important topic this year. It's on nothing about us without us. And so it's a kingdom perspective for sharing love and power in evaluation and research practice. And we have uh, a few great keynote speakers lined up uh, to talk about this. And we're also going to be diving deeper into um, our own experiences in discussions with peers from other organizations. So I think you'll find a lot of value in it. There's still time to register. Uh, Again, that's October 11th. If you can't make it in person, we will work to find ways, maybe through this podcast or through some webinars, Um, So we can get some of the presentations out there for you to listen to, but there's nothing like being there in person for those discussions and and the networking and and the relationships you can build. So so I encourage you to look at that. Uh, To register, go to accordnetwork.org. And as always, you can send us an email at ara at accordnetwork.org with any questions or suggestions uh, for who we should talk to next. Well, it's great to have you, Emily, on the podcast. So thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Nathan. It's fun to be here. Awesome. Well, I want to jump right in. Um, I have some questions around what you're doing at Hope International. I'm looking forward to getting to. But before we do, uh, can you just tell us a little bit about about yourself and how you ended up at Hope and, and doing what you're doing there? 
Yeah, so I, um, before I was at Hope, I was a student at Seattle Pacific University, which is a small Christian school in the greater Seattle area, which is where I grew up. Um, I studied economics and um, within my economics program at SPU, Seattle Pacific University, I was able to um, focus my studies on development economics. My advisor was a development economist doing research on remittances, um, and I just became really passionate passionate about financial inclusion and wanted to be a part of ending that. And I saw how practical economic tools could be for alleviating poverty. And so, um, yeah, I started researching um, economic development organizations, was really interested in an opportunity to include my faith with that. So I typed um, Christian economic development organizations into Google and uh, Hope International is one of the first ones that comes up at the top of the Google list. So yeah, that's how I got to Hope. And I moved to Lancaster, Pennsylvania um, to do a fellowship with Hope after I graduated, which turned into a full-time job. And um, now I work remotely for Hope from Chicago and I live on the north side of Chicago, um, which is absolutely beautiful right now in the summer. 10 out of 10 would recommend. <laughs> That's awesome. And yeah, definitely sounds like a great fit um, with hope and, and with what your interest is. And so and I'm sure a lot of our listeners know, but uh, for those that don't, could you maybe just give us a quick rundown of what it is that hope does and, and what your role there is specifically? Yeah, so um, Hope International, capital H-O-P-E, for those who don't know, our mission is to invest in the dreams of families in the world's underserved communities as we proclaim and live the gospel. And so we work towards this mission through microfinance institutions, or MFIs, and savings group ministries, discipleship opportunities, and training. So um, the two latter pieces, discipleship and training, are very integrated into our two core methods methodologies, the MFIs and the savings group ministries. Um, so the savings group ministries, that side of the house, as I like to say, um, comes alongside local church denominations and parachurch organizations to train them to facilitate their own savings group ministries, how to form savings groups where men and women save together, can make loans to each other, start businesses and grow in community and fellowship with each other um, and with the Lord. Um, and then on the microfinance side of the house, which is my team, so a little bit more familiar there, um, we own and operate four microfinance institutions, which you can, if you're unfamiliar, you can think of as small banks um, that make really small loans and provide savings accounts to people in underserved communities. And then we also partner with five other MFIs. Um, so we are the majority shareholder owner of four and then partner with five in um, Eastern Europe, Africa, Latin America, and Asia. So we're a bit all over the place. Um, most of our loan portfolio is with um, group loans using the traditional Grameen Bank model um, made most famous by Mohammed Yunus. Um, and then we also have a number of um, small and medium enterprise loans for more established businesses. And those are larger loans um, in addition to providing safe places to save. My role on the MFI team is a project manager and I've been 
supporting HOPE's operations in a few different roles, but currently provide project management expertise on a team of kind of internal consultants. And so my team, we are a number of different specialists in specialty areas like training, analysis, marketing. Um, and so I provide project management support um, to our MFIs. And then, but 25% of my role is um, working with the listening, monitoring, and evaluation team at HOPE. Uh, that's how I got connected to the Accord Research Alliance is through my colleague who works was um, is on the steering committee for the Research Alliance. Um, and so I've supported our MFIs with listening activities and different surveys and evaluations, um, liaising with our technical expertise friends on the LMNE team. So listening, monitoring and evaluation, LMNE. Love our acronyms at HOPE. So, awesome. yeah. <laughs> Well, that's great. And I really want to dig into um, some of those listening projects that you're talking about. And just, I just want to mention that, you know, I've gotten familiar with the work of Hope over the years and the listening, monitoring, and evaluation team, and um, have always admired this emphasis on listening um, that I can see um, that as an organization, uh, you all place. And so I would love to hear, you know, you talk about partnering with the listening, monitoring, and evaluation team. Um, and how listening is, is a part of your portfolio with working with the microfinance institutions. Just to get practical here, can you give an example of, of how you use listening in practice and how you've seen that actually help your MFI programs? Yeah, totally. So I could talk about a few different examples, but one I'll focus on within the last year um, is using listening to understand how to design the right types of programs and products to serve a new client segment. So in at our MFI in Burundi in East Africa, there was a tremendous opportunity to partner with a local coffee cooperative, like a cooperative of coffee farmers, um, and provide them with loans. Um, they had approached our MFI about this opportunity. And this was the first time that this MFI would make a agriculture-specific loan product. And so this was a new area for them. And so um, because they had this kind of developing friendship or relationship with the cooperative, they kind of already knew who their potential um, client segment was. Um, and so they were able to survey the um, coffee farmers that would be theoretically receiving the loans before they started designing the loan product. So um, they asked about, um, they asked the farmers what they would use their loan for, like any particular area of their coffee enterprise that they would want to invest in, um, what size of the loan would they be interested in, how long they would expect it would take to repay a loan, and whether they would prefer to take the loan with a group or as an individual. And then they, we also asked about any other business um, business activities they had, income generating activities. So many farmers around the world are serial entrepreneurs and farming is just one of their businesses. So from these responses, the MFI was then able to take what they had heard and then design their product um, kind of with this feedback in mind. Um, and so the first of these coffee loans were dispersed at the end of last year. And so far, it seems to be going really well. Um, and so uh, this is a great a really great story. Um, but to go back to your initial question about incorporating feedback and listening, um, we definitely have room to grow in this area and we do a lot of listening, but not necessarily a lot of 
incorporating that feedback back in and so um, to our operations. So we're trying to figure out this kind of one of our key challenges right now, just naming this for anyone else listening who has this challenge of how do we take what we've heard and follow up on that specific feedback um, to make changes to products or changes to our methodology to understand how we can serve clients better. And we're trying to um, this year do a more agile and ongoing approach to listening um, in a couple different areas, but definitely still figuring out what that looks like. Awesome. Yeah. I'd love to get to kind of what ongoing listening looks like here in a second. Um, but before I do, I want to go back because I think that's a great example of how you can use listening for designing you know, in this case, a new new loan product, but, you know, really in, in many different examples of program design. Just curious, from that process of listening, what would you say is the major insight or was there kind of like a big aha moment um, that the team there realized that maybe they weren't planning for and that actually kind of uh, shaped the direction of, of what they did with this, um, with this ag loan product? Yeah, I'm not sure if there was something different than what they were expecting, definitely saw the eagerness of clients looking to receive this type of loan product um, for like the first time. Um, there's like a, this is a significantly underserved market in Burundi. Like there are almost no other MFIs making loans to coffee farmers. So they definitely saw there was going to be a um, high demand from this product. Um, yeah, I'm not sure if there were any other surprising takeaways um, other than really a realization that, wow, this is like almost no one else is providing this group with the um, with financial services. Yeah, well, that seems like a, a pretty big thing to discover and to understand the, the demand for it before you launch a new product. So, um, so I love that. Uh, let's go back to the idea that you were talking about, and you mentioned it as an area of growth, of, of, of learning, you know, how to have ongoing listening practices in a way that really gets incorporated into, into the work. But currently, what is it? I'm just kind of curious, because that example was really around, you know, the start of a new program or, or developing a new product uh, specifically, but um, what does it look like currently for, for Hope in terms of ongoing listening efforts? Yeah, so a couple of different things we're testing out over the next year or so are looking at specific areas in our um, existing methodology. So looking at our processes and trying to target specific instances in our processes, like the moment of disbursement or the moment of submitting the loan application and trying to ask very specific questions about um, that moment in the client's experience to understand what's going well and what could be improved. Um, so um, traditionally, our like core listening tools are administered just once a year or once every two to three years and provide such rich feedback. But the challenge with that is that it's harder. There's so much of a lag or a delay in when we get the data and analyze it. And then like it may be a couple months after that client has shared the feedback they did. And so it's harder to follow up 
and implement changes as a result that the client would actually experience, or at least the client would experience a delay in implementing the changes based on their feedback. And so we're hoping with gathering ongoing data and having being able to have like monthly dashboards or something like that that could be refreshed, then um, able to better identify like, okay, here's this feedback that's specifically happening about um, turnaround time, like the amount of time it takes to um, process a loan application and disperse funds. Um, that's something that we're asking about at the same MFI in Burundi, actually. Um, we'll be asking um, starting soon about um, like, was your was the process the amount of time it took to process your loan faster or slower than you expected? Um, what could we improve in that process? So that's kind of more targeted ongoing listening we're hoping to do. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense of kind of going from those preset times, like once a year, you know, to really, you know, trying to tailor it to your participants or your, your customers for the those milestones you're talking about on their own journey. And so I can understand how that'd be a lot more challenging from an administrative standpoint, but also a lot more valuable um, in terms of making some of that real-time decision-making that you, I'm sure you'd want to empower your teams um, with. So, um, so I like that. Now let's get even more kind of practical here and in, in detailed, you know, as you're looking at these, these processes of kind of updating when you're collecting the data, I'm just curious, what data are you actually collecting? Like what would be some of the tools or some of the measurements you're looking at in your listening practice um, that you all are using? On the microfinance side, we have two core surveys, tools, and assessments that we use. One is an impact assessment, which we call the HOPE quotient. And so it's looking at impact in the four domains, material, personal, social, and spiritual, to understand the holistic impact of HOPE's work on our clients. Um, and that is pretty intensive and is administered every two to three years. So an MFI will go through that every two to three years. Um, and then our other core tool that's used on an annual basis is a customer satisfaction survey, um, which uses a NPS adjacent question as like kind of the core piece of what we're measuring consistently across the network. That survey is customized a little bit depending on the country. Um, and then, um, but the main core question kind of around um, recommending the MFI is the same across our programs. And so these are, if we're getting even more technical, they're administered like on tablets using like an offline data collection tool. Could talk more about that too. So with the, that's great. So with the Net Promoter Score tool, um, and I'm familiar with this more from like a US based marketing kind of, you know, I, I get those questions a lot, um, but I, I kind of seen it used in that context. So I'm just curious, how has this worked? Have you all had to adapt this at all? Or is this does the does it translate pretty well into different contexts or what has your experience been with that? Yes, I too have been asked how likely would I recommend this brand thousands of times. Um, and um, Hope has really been on a journey with this question because it is such an industry standard. You're like, man, if we could use NPS, that would be so great because it's so consistent. There's so much great research behind it, backing it up, but there's not a great research about a lot of great research around what it looks like to use it in like a cross-cultural context. Like it's a very American question. Um, and so 
we don't work with very many Americans um, other than outside of our U.S. office. And so and our, we don't serve any Americans. Um, and so our two main challenges that we've ran into with using the 10 point scale, how likely are you to recommend Hope International to your friends and family? Um, is that in other languages in the HOPE network that our clients speak, they don't have a concept for likelihood. I think this is like a linguistically fascinating concept is that they, the concept of likelihood, they don't have words for it and it just doesn't really translate what we're trying to ask. And so can't really ask the question, number one. And two, a 10-point scale is really large. It's actually 11 points because it has a zero. So an 11-point scale is really large and complicated and can be confusing. So especially for people who aren't used to answering this type of survey question all the time. So to adapt, we shrunk the scale um, to five, um, five response options. Um, and then we change the question. Okay, technically six because you can decline to answer. Um, so we changed our question to just instead of how likely are you to recommend, we changed it to would you recommend this MFI to your friends and family? Um, and we changed it from a 10 point scale to a five point scale with words. So the options are definitely, probably, undecided or unsure, probably not, or definitely not. And then they can decline to answer. Um, and so we, um, the NPS calculation is the percentage of the promoters minus the percentage of the detractors. And so we took the percentage of our promoters on our scale is the percentage of the people who responded definitely minus the percentage of people who responded unsure, probably not, or definitely not as detractors. Um, and so that's kind of how we changed and adapted the question, um, there's not, we didn't do a lot of statistical research or things around this to make it work, but so far it seems like clients understand the question and they can respond and we can use it kind of as a baseline across our network to measure um, like how our clients are doing, would they recommend our services? Um, and there's also some qualitative follow-up questions. So it's not just like the number answer on the scale, um, but then some qualitative ways that clients can provide feedback and more color to their response. Yeah, that's great. I love that. And I think it's such a great reminder of, of the importance of us always thinking about validating, you know, these, these survey questions or these tools that in many cases are developed for a, a very different context than in the ones we work in. So I love hearing this example of how you all have adapted this um, and I'd be curious if any others listening have ever work through something similar or, or try to uh, even adapt the, the MPS tool itself. Maybe you could share that or if anyone else is curious of how Hope has done it. Um, I'm sure Emily would be happy to, to share more about that. But last question for you here, and then I'll let you go. But um, I love to ask this question. What's something you've read or even watched lately that you'd recommend to others? Yeah, so this is sort of, when I was reading this book that I would recommend, uh, I was just struck by how there was no listening involved. So I feel like this is a case study of what not to do in terms of research, policy implementation, like solution design, like looking at a huge systemic problem and not listening to the people impacted by the decision. Um, and so 
Um, it's called, it's a book. It's very, it's like less than 200 pages, pretty short. It's called Ghosts in the Schoolyard, uh, Racism and School Closings on Chicago's South Side by Eve Ewing. Um, and so, like I mentioned at the beginning, I live in Chicago. I'm a fairly recent Chicago transplant. So I've been reading a lot this year about our city, which I love, but has incredible challenges too. Um, and so, yeah, I, this book, um, chronicles a period in very recent Chicago history from about 2013 to 2017 when there was a wave of school closures across the south and west sides of the city which um, for those who are unfamiliar with Chicago's geography are the most under more under-resourced and non-white communities of the city and um, the author explains how these school closures are really traumatic and devastating. Um, they're trying to tackle important problems. Um, it kind of maybe well-intended, but um, there's just no listening to the families and the communities and the neighbors who were impacted by this policy decision. There was um, a lot of like performative listening around, um, like there were open forums that they were like not scheduled at appropriate times for people to actually be able to attend them, like at 10 a.m. on a Wednesday or something like that when people have to be at work. And so um, just chronicles how um, important it is to really listen to the people who your policy intervention, in this case, it's like a government housing policy, but like if you're signing some other type of economic development or community development intervention, how important it is to center your design around the people who will actually be directly impacted by it because in this case the city of Chicago completely neglected that and really had some pretty devastating consequences on the community members so not a light read what I'm recommending um but uh really helpful and informative and if anyone listening is like works for a housing development organization for sure really interesting stuff um or had a lot to do not just with education but with like housing and zoning and all of how it's all interconnected yeah well that's great and it sounds like a fascinating book i'll make sure and put a link to it in the in the show notes for anyone wanting to to take a look at it um but i love what you said there about how you know you know not just doing performative listening and i think that's a trap that's really easy to fall into of you know just doing it to to have the to check it off that we've done listening but to are we actually listening and and for the sake of doing things better and so i think that's a great example so um definitely looking forward to checking that out myself um but emily thanks so much for jumping on the the podcast it was great getting to uh to know more about you personally and then uh, going deep on um, this area of listening within the uh, hopes mfi work so thanks again for for taking the time today Yeah, thanks so much for having me and for the chance to share a little bit about Hope's work. Happy to connect with anyone listening who would like to hear more. Sounds great. Well, I'll put your uh, contact information in the show notes for anyone that wants to to reach out to Emily. And I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thanks, you too. Take care, everybody.